Welcome to the Think Yourself Healthy Podcast, where you meet the intersection of mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Heather Duranja, founder of Nutrition Vixen, registered dietitian, nutritionist, personal trainer, and cognitive behavioral specialist. I'm a mother, author, self-improvement junkie, and recovering perfectionist turned professional half-asser. Each week, I'll be bringing on a guest or a topic that will help you go from surviving to thriving. Are you with me? All right, here we go with today's episode. Hello, everybody. On today's show, Think Yourself Healthy podcast, I have a special guest, Dr. Nicole LaPera. She was trained in clinical psychology at Cornell University and New School. She also studied at the Philadelphia School of Psychoanalysis. She is a holistic psychologist whose work addresses the connection between the mind and body and incorporates nutrition, lifestyle, and psychological wellness practices. She is the creator of the movement Self Healers, where people from around the world are joining together in community to take healing into their own hands. Oh my gosh, what an accolade. Um, As I mentioned earlier, this is just such a very special moment for me to have an opportunity to um, chat with you and address some of the philosophies and main principles that I have built my practice from. Um, There's so much that we can chat about, and I'm going to do my best to try and um, really get to the important things that I want to discuss I started my journey a little over 25 years ago with the diagnosis of a chronic kidney disease. Um, At that time, I couldn't get health insurance and was told I was going to need dialysis or transplant within the next five years. And so not having health insurance, I had just had a small child. Um, Those weren't options for me. So that's where I kind of had to become my own advocate for my health and wellness and start doing research on my own. I graduated high school with a 1.7 GPA. So I was labeled learning disability and really did not have the confidence that I was going to be able to figure this out on my own. And um, I've I've had a long journey over the last 25 years, but most importantly, I have, um, just bought years and years of quality to my life through lifestyle changes. And for me, the real last part of the leg of the journey where I got the most out of the experience was really diving in and addressing the traumas and the inner child um, issues that developed at such a young age. As I mentioned earlier, I was diagnosed learning disability. I started kindergarten like literally three days after my fourth birthday. I wasn't developmentally ready for kindergarten. And I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional home uh, where my, my family just didn't have the ability to spend the extra time and afford the resources that I truly needed to um, be developmentally with everyone else. So I've had to overcome a lot of stories and narratives and things that I have told myself. Um, So when I decided, I guess I was going to be turning 30, I decided that I wanted to go back and pursue an education. And honestly, this was the most frightening thing for me when I decided to, you know, basically want to do what I had done for myself with other people. Mm -hmm. And um, when I found out it was a pre-med degree, I was like, yeah, so this isn't going to work, you know, but I was so determined. um, I had to work through those stories and it was the best thing I could have ever done for myself. And I ended up graduating undergrad summa cum laude. So blew all the stories, you know, out of the incredible. Mm -hmm. So I'm a firm, firm believer in um, undoing programming and narrative Mm -hmm. and that self-talk like, Girlfriend, we can go there. I've done it all. I have been the epitome of the biggest self-hater, and now I embrace self-love. But again, my whole point with this story is that I went through this long 25-year journey, and for me, the real impact was starting with the traumas and the inner child work. So I kind of like to reverse engineer with individuals Mm -hmm. the journey that I've gone through. Let's start with where you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck. And I find that this is where most people have resistance. They do not want to do the work. 
Let's chat about that. Why is it so difficult for individuals? We're so desperate for change. We're so desperate to be healthy and be better and, you know, living our best lives. So why is it that we are completely incapable of taking that first step towards sustainably making that journey happen for ourselves? Yeah, absolutely, Heather. And I first want to thank you for having the conversation with me today today and for putting your work out in the world because I'm hearing such resonance with my own story. And I, I truly believe that the more of us that feel empowered to share our stories, which for you and me are now stories of transformation, yeah. of healing, right? Down to the core self of kind of going back um, to what I believe is that kind of pure state of being that all of us for one reason or another, and I'll go into all of this in a minute, but become separate from, become disconnected from. Mm-hmm. And for me, very similar to you, I had all of my stories. I had all of the lanes in which I thought my life had to exist right. for genetic reasons, for, you know, I didn't get, I had this characteristic or personality trait and not this one that's unchangeable or so I thought. Right. So by the time, similar to you, I was entering my 30s, I thought that I was stuck. Mm-hmm. And I say that word very emphatically, very particularly intentionally, because that is a word that I started to see and feel. By this time, I had a private practice. I was living in Philadelphia. I was being the therapist that I always thought I wanted to be with clients coming in week after week and doing talk therapy. And I was starting to see that they were stuck too. Yeah. And I really began to call into question, you know, kind of why, 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 why are we so stuck? Because this isn't to say, and I fancied myself a self-aware person, right? I, I, I thought I saw my roadblocks. I thought I even formulated the new thing I would do next, the next time the same thing happened, similar to the work I was doing with very insightful clients. Right. Yet it begged, the question kept coming in my face, literally week after week, where I would, in my own life, see myself repeat that same pattern, even though I knew better, and I'd see it in my clients. Why is it, right, that we had this amazingly insightful session last Tuesday, and we, we really planned for this next argument, say, with your partner, yet by the next Tuesday, you're reporting the same thing. Right. So not only is that problematic as far as I saw it, mm-hmm. right, being in the quote-unquote business, right, of helping people change or transform, get better, right? That's what I thought I was there to do. So not only, right, were they not getting better, but what I also started to see, and the reason why I'm, I'm going to share with you the why in a second, I talk all about the whys, because there's always a why that usually is entrenched in our physiology or our evolutionary, like our evolutionary being, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we are as humans, right? A lot of shame. Yeah. A lot of what the hell is wrong with Mm-hmm. Me, right? Why am I so stuck? I must be broken. Yeah. I thought that, right? So I thought I was again stuck in that lane because I'm broken. So I can only see health or life in this very constricted way. Mm-hmm. So again, it was till I really hit a bottom, so to speak, right? A dark night of the soul where everything seemed to be coming crashing down around me, even though outwardly my life looked like. I was doing great. And I was great at pretending I was doing great too. Yeah. I was so, so good at that. And it got to the point of, I couldn't pretend anymore. I was starting to have physical symptoms. I was starting to faint out of nowhere. I would just lose consciousness. Um, And all of this crazy, scary, scary symptoms, which inspired me first. I thought it was an attempt to um, diagnose myself. So I went online, you know, going to find that cataclysmic diagnosis that can now explain why this new batch of symptoms are coming my way. And what I was met with was an open door, was a whole new world to talk about lifestyle changes and epigenetics and the fact that maybe, maybe these things aren't as set as we thought they were. So then similar to you, flash forward, a lot of time, a lot of effort in daily consistent healing tools that I talk about now daily, I created change. So why are we stuck? Let's just go back quickly to that. Why are we stuck? The reason I, I've learned that we're stuck is because a part of the mind, so just to differentiate, we have the brain, it's the organ, it's inside our skulls, right? The mind, or so I really simply describe it, all mm-hmm. the things we do with it, the thinking, all of the cognitive faculty, that's the right. mind, like brain in action. There's a part of the mind that is called the subconscious. 
-hmm. Now, you might be surprised, anyone listening, to hear that we didn't really hear about the subconscious in my, oh, seven years of school, seven plus years of training, mm -hmm. not really covered. Really big problem. Right. Because what I've come to learn lives in that subconscious. I'm going to use a computer analogy that I'm sure our listeners. So in that subconscious lives programs. And the reality of humans are we are so patterned. Mm -hmm. So we have, and again, I'm really simplifying this, Heather, right? We have our daily behavioral programs, our habits, the things we do. If you spend some time watching, observing yourself, like I talk about, you will see how habitual you are. Even if you intend to be doing other things with your time, say, you're not. You're doing the same thing, say, after that. Another aspect, and this is where, like you said, narrative stories comes into play. We, first and foremost, this is news for some people, we have thoughts going through our mind all day long. Some of us are so identified with the thought, we become the thought. We don't know that there's a separation. When we finally discover that, oh, I'm viewing these stories that my mind is telling me all day long. We then come to find how goddamn habitual they are. And they do fall into certain narratives or scripts. We say the same things about ourselves, about our relationships, our place in the world, our past, our present, our future, the list goes on. Right. Another way we are so habitual is our thoughts are connected to then how we feel. We all know this. If you think a thought long enough, I love to think stressful thoughts. That was my anxiety was my feeling. I knew that. So I don't know about you. I can sit on a couch and worry, think worry thoughts. And before I know it, my shoulders are constricted, right? I'm feeling that tightness of anxiety. And if I'm really going to town on it, I might even start to have panic type symptoms. Meanwhile, you look around and I'm sitting quietly on a couch, right? So our thoughts connect with how our body feels yes. and we become very habitual in that. We tend to fall upon the same emotion. So if again, don't believe me, I never want people to believe it for me or just take my story and overlay it. Go look, yeah. see if you find the same feelings. Okay, so why does this matter? When we wake up each and every day, unless we, we practice being conscious, practice existing from a different, quite literal part of our mind, our brain, we fall into those programs. I think the, the percentage now is 98% of our day, say, whatever it is, a very large percentage of our day. Yes. We're letting those autopilot run our life. Right. Okay, so fine. I, maybe I'm someone listening and I see all my habits and my patterns, right? And I know what I want to do differently, myself, all of my clients, why can't I? Right. Because our subconscious is, is evolutionarily geared with the number one intention is to keep us safe, right? right? Now this does, this sounds counterintuitive because some of our habits actually don't keep us safe at all. They actually put us or, you know, kind of result in us being in harmful situations. Relationships are a big time one, right? We keep finding ourselves in unhealthy and that, you know, there's a very big range of how unhealthy we right. could find ourselves gravitating for those relationships. So safety only in, in, in the language of our subconscious is connected to familiar. That's it. Because we've been down that path before. And even if it's a negative consequence, we know what that's going to be next. Okay, so flash forward now. You and I have had this great therapy session, right? We're talking from now that conscious part of our brain. I know what I'm going to do next when I go to, you know, when that thing triggers me about my partner. In that moment, when I try to do something new, it registers on my subconscious mm -hmm. as being unfamiliar, possibly unsafe. What happens next? I don't know. And that's one of the least tolerable things, uncertainty that us humans can, can, can be in that feeling. Right. So we then feel uncomfortable. And before we know it, we're right back in that old pattern, in that old rut, we're right back stuck. Right. So is that where you would say cognitive dissonance comes in, where we try to formulate a new belief and then the subconscious comes in and just immediately takes over because it's such an unfamiliar and uncomfortable idea because it literally rejects the identity that we have based our soul purpose upon that thought comes in and then immediately we want to reject that thought and then we defend like we literally just spent like spend an entire lifetime defending these thoughts that were never initially our own to begin with and I think yes you know I I love it 
I love everything you're saying because this is basically, this is exactly what I have built the practice upon. I, I started practicing clinically as a dietitian working with diabetes education. And like you said, week after week, I would pour my heart and soul and all of this amazing knowledge and information and solutions. And then the following week, they'd come back and they would not make any change. And I was like, what the fuck? I <laughs> cannot spend the rest of my life doing this. This is not what I thought I was signing up for. And so that's when I started looking deeper into things and realizing, ultimately, it's not lack of education. We have more resources available to us. It's definitely not lack of education. Um, it goes so much deeper than that. And for me personally, I felt that it was, um, especially when it comes to like our lifestyle behaviors that impact our overall health and well-being, that these are driven by emotion, emotional reaction. The emotion is what triggers whatever comes next with the behavior. And that's when I decided I needed to go and get a master's and dive more into the psychology part and really be able to incorporate the the mind and the body and understand how they work in unison. So for me, I have literally dedicated my entire practice to thoughts and how our thoughts stimulate the behavior. They're the, the mm -hmm. very predictor of what our total overall health outcomes are going to be based on that thought. And so as you mentioned earlier, you know, I was a chronic worrier. I didn't realize how addicted I was to drama. I was that person who was like, I fucking hate drama. I can't deal with this drama. And then I'm on the phone <laughs> with my girlfriends and I'm like, you're not going to believe what just fucking happened. <laughs> and then I realized, holy shit, I am literally triggering a chemical reaction in my body every time I tell this story. And I am becoming more and more addicted to the drama than I even realize. And so when I got, I guess probably about five years ago, I was like, you know what? <laughs> I'm really done with this. And that's when I had to really dive headfirst into all of the areas that I had the most resistance, um, positive affirmation, changing myself dialogue, sit, just being mindful and trying to have awareness around what my behavior patterns actually were. Um, and I find that a lot of people, I, I know for myself, um, journaling. Mm. I resisted journaling so Thanks. much fuck that. I was okay. not going to sit there and actually sit with the journal and put the thoughts on a paper. And I started thinking deeper into that. Why did I have so much resistance to journaling? And what I was able to come up with is that I recognized I'm a terrible speller. Okay. Because I got diagnosed with learning disability at such a young age. And every time I was called on in class to read out loud, my peers would be like, Oh God, no, you know, and, uh -huh. and so all of these stories were still circulating in my head. So when it came to journaling and I would pull out that piece of paper, I would start judging myself based on the stories that I had heard over my lifetime. Mm -hmm. And I was physically incapable of putting anything to the paper because I was scared I was going to misspell it. I was scared it was not going to be proper sentence structure or I would use the wrong word out of context. And then I realized this is for fucking me. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Right. But I feel like there's a lot of people who just can't get to that place. So what are your thoughts around that? How would you, um, encourage someone who was in a similar situation how do you get started yeah absolutely and i just want to kind of acknowledge why that is so the way i define at least belief right in a very simple i really simplify definition a belief is a practice thought right so it's this to use your example that i really appreciate you sharing right back at a time and a place events happened right and you like actual things you were maybe told directly or indirectly, you got that grade. School is where a lot of this is formed for a lot of us in our immediate family environments yeah. and in school where we get these messages about how we are. I highlight school because mm -hmm. we're actually ranked. You know, we have objective markers, things called report cards, and then obviously how that gets treated if we're positive or negative in terms of that. So, right. Right. So something happened and then there's a part of the brain. So, the more the thing happens, the more you can rehearse the thought. Mm -hmm. There's another part of the brain that, that kind of solidifies our belief. And this is why it's so hard to change. And then I'll talk about how we find our way out. 
there's a part of the mind that's called the reticular activating system, mm -hmm. right? I call it our mind's filter okay. because we would, to be a human and to take in all the stimulation in this one second that I'm speaking to you, there's far more happening in my current environment than I can pay attention to. Right. So my mind, each of our minds has to figure for ourselves, right? There's like an algorithm back to that computer, right? With what's important, right? What applies to me so that I can kind of ignore, if you will, the rest of the stimulation so I don't overwhelm. And what it then does is the beliefs, right? The more practice the thought is, the more it, the more it applies to you, mm -hmm. right? So now we begin to filter out in our environment, possibly, so using your example again, all, maybe, maybe there was other information available to you. Maybe there was moments in school where you were doing something positive, right? But for you, I'm just going to say like bad at school, maybe as yeah. the most simple narrative, right? Maybe not smart. Maybe you want to apply that. That didn't apply because that's not who you are. So before we know it, we delete from our very experience any opportunity to challenge our beliefs. And we just become a self-confirming machine. Mm -hmm. So you're right. When you now, this is why for a very long time, I didn't resonate with affirmations. I'm like, okay, right. If I just say, you know, I'm smart, I'm smart, I'm smart. I don't become, I don't believe that. Right. And this is a big reason why, because we are staying locked. We're staying stuck mm -hmm. in our belief. So another big issue and why change is hard to maintain back to this concept of unfamiliar, any step in that unfamiliar direction feels unsafe, right? feels uncomfortable. It's not to say that it is. Right. What a lot of us try to do, especially because when we're in that low, when we, when we decide we want to change, usually we feel some version of shitty sometimes really shitty. Yeah. And it's really natural then to want to feel better as quick as possible. Mm -hmm. So we, we shoot ourselves in the foot sometimes when I wake up the next day and I say, okay, well, here's four new things that I want to do mm -hmm. different tomorrow. We overwhelm. Yeah. So the, the way to create change is I, I use a concept called small daily promise. Really the important concept is the smallness of it. Right. Is picking one small new thing, not those five, right. that's almost so small that you want to diminish yourself for even doing it. But don't do that. And right. then do that consistently. Mm -hmm. And then upon that foundation, build another mm -hmm. small new habit. And like I said, that will help us. This is already going to be uncomfortable. We're going to have to use the word that I use that you use to resistance along right. the way. It's going to be uncomfortable, but we can set ourselves up to succeed because what is important is not doing five new things for five days. It's doing one new thing for three months. Right. Now I have a habit yeah. and then I can build on another habit. Right. Change comes when we create new habits because what are habits back to what we just started talking about in the beginning, a way of being. Yeah. And now before I know it, six months, six years later, when I look at my patterns, I am a different human because I have different behavioral patterns. Right. I likely have different thoughts. If I've, again, one of my consistent practices was practicing a new thought for long enough that I can open up my RAS to let in some new information. And then, you know, six years from now, six, I become, now I have a new belief and now I feel different. And all of this happens gradually. So my first two suggestions are always going to be, Become conscious of yourself. Just watch. Mm -hmm. Notice all of the ways that your habit self is keeping you stuck. Notice. And then just create one new shift and change that you can maintain consistently. So, so what I find personally is that when I make that recommendation to individuals, observe. Just watch. What I find is that we are so disconnected from ourselves that we don't even have the ability to become aware in many circumstances. We are so distracted, so distracted intentionally, and we don't even realize that that's what we're doing, um, in order to stay in this coexistence of just slug, like just gunk, right? this gunk place. Mm -hmm. So what, how do you encourage someone? So for someone who is so disconnected from themselves, they have no idea where to get started with observing. How do they do it? Yeah. Well, I can speak to past me because I spent three decades, almost 30 years in what we call a state of dissociation, complete disconnection from my body, from my feelings. I, I lovingly call it my spaceship. Yeah. I used to live on. 
And I was really good at existing on that spaceship in a complete state of disconnect and related to other people and being here and being present to someone else and their experience. I got so attuned to how everyone else was thinking, feeling, doing. That's why I'm quite good at understanding people, but I was quite bad at understanding myself because I was quite disconnected. So I'm speaking to old me. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, and when I, I have a virtual membership and the work each and every month, I remind people the whole first stage always is this observation, not to rush past that yeah. because that's developing life and consciousness. And many of us are dissociated like I was. Yeah. So I spent before I could do the work that I you know, really knew was going to help the deeper stuff that we want to do, the thing that we think is going to make us better. Ultimately, maybe it's the inner child work or right, whatever, whatever the next step is. I had to hit pause. I spent a significant time, years, becoming conscious. Or my intention, so I too am very resistant to journaling, but I created a journaling method called Future Self Journaling, which is every day you state a daily intention to do something different. And if you look at my journals, journals for the better part of that first year that I was healing, all I worked on, talk about repetitive, boring ass shit. Every morning, I am conscious. I use my breath as my anchor. When I discover my attention is elsewhere, I bring it back to the current moment. Mm-hmm. And then I put my journal down and I don't think it's be magic. And then I go practice that Yeah. every moment, every day. And then some days I don't because I forget and I go back into autopilot. Mm-hmm. And then when I remember, I practice again. And then until we form that basis of conscious living, you're right, we can't see. Yeah. Because the things that we want to change are typically the things that – like what our reactions when we're, I'm going to say triggered when we're activated, right? Mm-hmm. That's when we lose the most control. When I'm feeling, I know for me, right. I don't, I, it's a slippery slope. I actually lose, I, I kind of go unconscious as mm-hmm. I say it. Yeah. I lose my, my conscious opportunity in that moment. Right. That's what we really want to change. And that's why we can't because to be able to set ourselves up for success in that really pivotal emotional moment we have to know how to maintain our consciousness and that observation along the way. And unfortunately that doesn't happen overnight. Right. So the simple answer is if you're listening and you're struggling to be conscious, you don't know your patterns or maybe you know you're dissociated or maybe you're listening to me speak and you, so one of that thing, one of the act, um, one of the symptoms of dissociation, and I talk about this a lot, mm-hmm. I have no memories of childhood. Mm-hmm. I cannot go back and like replay what my childhood looked like or felt like for me. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Cause I was a living memory. That's one of the symptoms. I shared that one very readily because I used to think something was wrong with me uh-huh. because I had no memory. And the more I talk about it and understand it, I now see it as a function of that dissociation and a lot of people relate to it. Right. So we have to build that consciousness habit first. So that means hitting pause right? And learning whether it's sitting with yourself when your eyes are closed and what we call meditation and learning how to just be present in our bodies and separate from our thoughts and then translating that skill day in and day out. And that's how we build that foundation to create the change that we really want later. Yeah. I love that. It's, it's so on point and I, I don't, I hate to use the word simple, but the reality is I feel like it's so much more simple than we want to make it. We try to overcomplicate things to keep it challenging so that we can self betray and then call back in all of our, you know, shame and guilt and mm-hmm. anger and, oh, this, you know, it just goes yeah. on. A lot of reasons. And, and, and in practice, I will be the first to attest to, it is the farthest from simple. It's one of the most incredibly difficult things to live consciously. Cause then, like you said earlier, we're not distracted. We are present to everything that's in the given moment, including some darker, uncomfortable feelings. And I know that my spaceship is really helpful. It kept me away from not only the negative things, but the flip side of that, which I started to realize the positives as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So I was just disconnected from life. And I, I believe that that was a large contributor to that, that dark night to feel so just nothing. Right. Like I said earlier, I had this life I was gazing upon. I'm like, wow, you know, a lot of people in my, in my thing would, would be living somewhat comfortably and maybe even dare I say happy. And I wasn't, and I'm not alone in that. And so what, when we distract ourselves from negative emotions, we have to understand that we are probably likely also distracted and disconnected then from positive ones too. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Thank you for pointing that out. As you mentioned in the beginning of our podcast, um, physical symptoms. So what I have discovered, not only through personal experience, but through working with other clients, and, and I work with uh, very high-risk autoimmune disease, specifically women, the more complicated the, the circumstance, the more I enjoy it because um, they're all, it's all interconnected, right? Mm -hmm. It's all interconnected. And so what I have discovered is that the more disconnected we are going around in our little spaceships and, you know, just doing, minding everyone's business, but <laughs> our own, um, what, what we end up, what I have discovered is that the body physically starts presenting ailments to try and get our attention. And we just continuously ignore, ignore, ignore all of the red flags. And then if we do go to the doctor and mention, you know, hey, I'm experiencing X, Y, Z, they're like, okay, we'll try this or try that. And the reality is you're never really getting to the root of the problem. So the red flags are going to keep getting greater and greater and greater until eventually either physically we are completely incapable of moving forward and things have to be addressed. I still find that more often than less, um, no matter how bad the diagnosis, there's still a lot of resistance to diving into the emotional and the trauma pieces that keep re-triggering the physical ailments because of that thought process that's constantly going. I, one of the things I tell individuals, um, stress, right? Stress is such a key component to our life. And the reality is more pe most people are so disconnected from themselves, they don't even recognize their perception of stress and how that perception of stress is actually having a huge impact on their physical and mental well-being. And, um, and so they think, no, 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 it's just I've, I've got GERD. Well, the reason that you have GERD is because you're in this constant worry cycle. So you're constantly stimulating the production of cortisol, suppressing other hormones that allow your body to rest and digest appropriately. And so I'll do little experiments with people to kind of prove to them, you know, how much environment plays a role. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, back to the, you know, the physical part of ailments presenting themselves in the body. Can you talk to me a little more about that? Yeah, I, I'm very much, Heather, a proponent of, and this is one of the definitions of holistic that I kind of apply. It's the interconnection between mind and body and the interconnectedness with the belief that there is a driving uh -huh. symptom, you know? And very early on when I first was in, you know, became interested in psychology, which is as long as I can remember, and I entered into tra training, you know, like more official from high school and then college undergrad, I was always really surprised that there was never any talk about the way I conceptualized that at that time is prevention, right. right? Why aren't we talking about stopping these things? So that's the same conversation because what we would be talking about is what's driving the symptoms. And right. similar to you, you know, I call it the Band-Aid model. And I, I think that applies in the traditional well psychology field too, right? We band-aid things. Mm -hmm. We kind of just cover the symptom and right. believe then it goes away and it doesn't. And, you know, I, I, I'm someone who went through that conventional system and tried all of those band-aid approaches. Mm -hmm. I'm also someone, so on a personal side of things, my mother, whom I define as chronically ill because she has been my whole life, whether it was with physical symptoms or emotional symptoms, mm -hmm. right? was never, she's one of those cases that there's never like the diagnosis, right? The thing that there's been many, I should say, but never the thing, right? right. And because as far as I see it, mm -hmm. it's my mom's past. It's her trauma. It's her suppressed emotions. It's her narratives and her way of being as a result of her trying to cope with things that she couldn't cope with mm -hmm. that have caused all these symptoms. So I relate on a very personal level and obviously have, you know, my own attachment, you know, traumas, if you will, having that mother that I have had, right? So I, I understand. So same thing, back to my uh, dark night of the soul. Mm -hmm. I started to faint. I started to forget names and sentences. Mine were very cognitive, which again, symptomatically, I thought so, could have looked like 
something actually happening maybe in my brain. I too came to understand for me, I was living in a wash of cortisol since before I was even a separate human, since I was in my mom's belly, I have a chronically anxious mother, right? So I really began. And when I, you know, kind of went into research and made some lifestyle changes same thing, right? I had to understand what was driving it. All of the, bo- the imbalances in my body and my hormones and my neurotransmitters that come along with it right. and also in my nervous system. And I talk about that a lot. A lot of our stuckness is because we're stuck in a nervous system response. Either we're in that hyperactive fight or flight, as a lot of us know it, the sympathetic, right. or some of us get stuck in the hypoactive parasympathetic. Mm-hmm. Right. right, not fight or flight, the almost shut down yeah. place. Right. Um, and that, so my point of bringing all of this up is if we're trying to treat, mm-hmm. like traditionally we have been in at least the mental wellness field, just speaking from my experience, the mind, without mm-hmm. looking at the body, we're not going to actually create, resolve those underlying symptoms because a lot of the stuckness is because our body is so imbalanced mm-hmm. based on, again, those past typically emotional experiences we've had. Right. Oh, Nicole. Oh, I'm like, I'm just, my whole body is just buzzing with excitement. Resonating. We're resonating. Yeah. Well, I love because it. Because <laughs> the reality is, um, you know, as a registered dietitian nutritionist, I've had to take my practice and you know, I've had to invest in so much more learning outside of the curriculum that I was educated within because I don't align with the system. It doesn't work. And so I knew that I needed to become a registered dietitian. So I would have the authority to work with medical nutrition therapy, but do it based on the principles and the practices that actually work to yield the results. And I feel that this is where people have so much cognitive um, dissonance come into play because these practices that we're promoting to individuals are so outside the box of what our Western medical system has been developed upon that people are just in denial. There's like, there's no way if I just address my traumas from childhood that my MS is gonna go away, you know? And the reality is, it is. Like more often than less, we can get these really horrific diseases managed and eradicated by really truly truly diving in, going and, and setting the small goals and really building that foundation in order to support total health and wellness. I have devoted my entire life to holistic practices because I... I have uh, been able to utilize them to my benefit and completely change my life, completely change the outcome of my life. Um, And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for that. I want everybody to experience that. And so sometimes a lot of frustration comes into play when I'm talking with individuals about how they can truly heal. And they're like, just give me a meal plan. And I'm like, bitch, a meal plan (laughs) isn't going to work. I can give you a hundred meal plans and you're never going to follow them because life happens and you don't know how to navigate through those ebbs and flows that are triggered through emotion. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and so I find myself, that's just my own little personal, you know, ah, I get so frustrated because what I say goes against the common practices Mm -hmm. of what most nutritionists, dietitians are practicing and I have such a thorough understanding of the neurosystem and how it all begins with a single thought. Literally, our thoughts are the most powerful resource tool that we have available to us. And so perception truly is reality. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, absolutely. We are so, and I feel so impassioned like you do. So I knew I had to, and the one of the, the two big inspirations when I first went on Instagram, you know, almost two years ago now at this point, oh my gosh, I just celebrated two year anniversary. It's wild. Um, just occurred to me in this moment. Who knew? Um, it was July and Jesus, we're almost halfway through July. Anyway, so two main, I wanted to speak this truth because I was not changed. I'm still changing. I was evolving though. Again, breaking down these beliefs and these barriers that I couldn't. 
I knew I wanted to speak about that and I wanted to share that. I had no awareness or expectation of what would happen once I, and I was scared to on a lot of levels, but didn't know what would happen when I put my message out there. That was my one intention. My other intention was the hope that maybe one or two people, I never had any awareness that it would be the amount that it is now, would resonate and I would find what I was wanting, which was a community of people who understood and could talk this language, mm-hmm. right? And I share that because I, I, I agree with you. And when I, so I was offering, you know, other tools, other options. Never once though am I bad-mouthing what was the, the traditional. There's a time and a place and there are going to be people that right. believe about the conventional system beliefs that I don't share. And right. I, I'm fine. You know, I respect that. I want everyone to find their own truth mm-hmm. from the inside. And I found one version. And so I put that out there and like, there is a lot of, you know, when, when things are, and I had to go through my own almost like mourning period. Yeah. I mean, here I am, I was dedicated to this model, that psychoanalytic training. I thought I was going to sign up for another four years and become what's called an analyst. Like mm-hmm. I really believed in that. Right. So I, I would be lying if I said that I just was like, Oh, that doesn't work. Off I go on. Uh, there was a big part of me that was mourning this identity right. that was mourning this old belief system. And I knew that there was another way or additional tools or, you know, things that we can do outside of that therapy that I still go get support, you know, find the person that can help you also know though, that that might not be enough, that there might be these daily shifts that you have to make. So it's not that I'm tearing down. I'm just trying to offer and build right other opportunities. And you're right. It comes with a lot of dissonance. I had it myself. It's hard to open up our perception, right? It is. We become stuck. Um, stuck, stuck, stuck in those realities. Uh, and obviously very soon after I started to share this, it was so validating to see people that I didn't even interact with that just were like, Oh, I heard you post about this and I've been doing it since. And my life's starting to look different. You know, for me, that was affirmation enough that these tools were needed, were helpful and were resonating. And of course now the rest is history. Two years later, I mean, we do have what is quite literally a movement and the gift of that Yes. is getting to connect with other humans like you, Heather, who have been doing this. Because there's so many of us out there that through our own healing, through our own questioning, through our own journeys, we've come to find another way. And now one of my big messages is just creating the flexibility for people to share their own truths and their own stories and equipping people with the tools internally to sift through, to say, okay, this resonates and makes sense. And, oh, I don't like to you know, acknowledge this, but that's true. And you know what? This doesn't fit. I just want to empower a human to make their own decisions. Cause back to that meal plan, Mm -hmm. you provide a meal plan. Not only would I take issue with how universal it could be really for everyone, but that's still something external. What happens when that meal plan doesn't come in your email box? What happens when that item isn't available? Do you have nothing else to rely on or can we develop the internal reservoir of resilience and self-knowledge that like you were saying, we can ride the waves of being human for the rest of our life. That's what I'm looking to do. That's what empowerment is for me. It's not outsourcing I, to external things. Yes. I feel so in alignment with that statement. I have so much respect um, for you as a professional and a personal individual. Um, I just think that all of the work you're doing is so amazing and it's beautiful to see just in such a small time what has occurred over the last two years for you and the community that you have been able to create and support. Um, I, I love your Instagram. You know, I, every time something pops up in my feed, I'm always like, fuck, yep, that's what I needed today. Thank you so much. (laughs) It it just always seems like on point. Um no matter what the content is, you can always relate some piece of it to something you're personally experiencing. And again, it goes back to that perception, right? Perception is our reality. And so when we discover that we have the ability, you know, we can't control our circumstances, but we can control how we choose to respond to those circumstances. That's where our power is. That's where the most beautiful things actually occur. Um, And that's such a powerful, empowering moment when people can actually connect with that and recognize that, that they actually are acting in a new, in a new way through choice. 
I remember going, I had a horrible, horrible divorce. And I remember for years, just wake, waiting and waiting and waiting, like, oh, I'm gonna, today's gonna be the day I'm gonna wake up and be able to forgive. And one day I was driving in the vehicle and there was a radio show on and the, the two hosts were talking about the concept that forgiveness was a choice, not a feeling. And I remember pulling my car over to the side of the road and going, what the fuck? You mean to tell me that the entire time I could have just chose to forgive and I've been desperately waiting for this feeling and I was so addicted to all of the emotions that that fed me. I was never going to wake up and feel ready. Magically, right. No, I literally had to make the choice. And so that was such a profound moment for me. I'll never forget that. Like, oh, wow, I get to just choose. My God, that's amazing. So um, that's, I think, a really resonating one, Heather. A lot we, that also looks like, right, if I find this relationship, once I get this job, when I move, I mean, the list really goes on in all of the ways we're waiting for that external shift to change how we internally feel. I know I've sat in that weight gain and I would do that with my partners. If I only found the person who really saw me, who really emotionally connected to me, right. how familiar does this sound? How could they? I wasn't emotionally connected to me. Of course I never found that person. I had a change first. Yeah. Oh, I had a, a history of, you know, narcissistic codependent relationships that stemmed from way early childhood. My parents got divorced when I was young, and I thought that all of my abandonment and rejection issues stemmed from my father not really being present in my life as a young child. I, one of my very first memories, I remember being about four, sitting on my front porch with my suitcase, waiting with my brother for our dad to show up, and he, you know, wouldn't come. And mom would have to say, come on, guys, you know, you got to come inside. It's dark. Dad's not coming. And so I spent, I went up to Mount Shasta and spent 15, 16 weeks of self-healing, isolation. I went into isolation. It was the first time in my entire life I've ever been alone. It was after a final horrific narcissistic relationship ending. And I finally realized, okay, I got to do something. I can't keep doing this. And as I started to get quiet and observe and be alone with myself, one day I was sitting in front of the mirror, putting my makeup on and this voice came in and it said, Hey, you know how you think all of your issues with abandonment and rejection actually are associated with your dad. And I was like, yeah. And it's like, well, what if I told you otherwise? And I was like, I'm listening. <laughs> Enlighten me. And ultimately what this voice, whether it was my higher self, my inner child, whoever it was that was speaking to me, ultimately addressed me and basically said, you know, when I was nine months old, that my needs were not met as an infant. My mother was incapable of nurturing me because she had just gone through a tragic loss of her brother dying. Um, she was pregnant with my younger brother, going through this marriage with my alcoholic and mm -hmm. drug addicted dad, codependent mom, codependent father, had to take care of her brother. So she was literally incapable of nurturing me as that nine month old child. And so after I had this epiphany and this revelation of where, how, how early these, mm -hmm. these abandonment rejection issues actually stemmed from, it allowed me to see my mother in a completely different you know, perspective. Um, I had so much compassion and so much empathy for her. And it just allowed me to dissolve all of the anger and all of the you know, things that I had to experience as a child that I was resentful for. It just like all disappeared. And with that mindfulness and understanding um, that, you know, I wasn't being nurtured as this small child, it wasn't my fault, it wasn't my mom's fault, it wasn't anyone's fault, it was just circumstances. Having that was so powerful that it literally allowed me to cut that cord of codependency and narcissistic relationships like, oh, done, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, um, but I, I truly believe that if I wouldn't have allowed myself the time, to be yeah. present and observe, that little voice never would have come and visited me. I yeah. still would have never had um, discovered the root of where that truly resonated mm -hmm. from. Well, I want to honor you, uh, Heather, for 
allowing that voice in because that's hard. Yeah. You know, a lot of us don't sit with ourselves because we don't necessarily want to quote unquote see or hear or feel about the truth. And when it is offered, whether it's a little voice in your head, I know for a little bit in the beginning of my healing, it was a little voice called my partner who would, who was objective. Like she's not me. So right. she on multiple occasions would just notice certain things. You know, I, I noticed, you know, when you, when you go to your families, you're just a little bit irritable and you're just mm-hmm. a little different than you are. Just, you know, she was very gentle. Mm-hmm no, who the hell are you to tell me that? That's absolutely not true. You're not right. So I commend, so in that silence, which is the first hard step, whether again, it's our voice telling us, people around us, esteem for ourselves, radical honesty with the self, right? Looking at that is hard. Mm -hmm. And you said something else really important that is a core, I think, component of healing, which is what I call depersonalizing those events. Because when we are in childhood, one of those cognitive states that we live in, that our mind is only capable of, is something that's called egocentricism. And it's not until we're, I don't know the exact age, say like, you know, around uh, nine, 10, where we start to begin to shift out of that. Mm -hmm. But when we're in that state, our mind can only offer explanations for things that happen in our world. I'm really simplifying this mm-hmm. as meaning as about us, right? Mm-hmm. So when mom, dad doesn't come, it's some version of, or, or when they do come and they're angry, we right. tell ourselves some version of a story that it's because of us. We were a bad girl or a bad boy or a bad child, whatever it is, right? Because we're not capable of having that greater perspective right. of understanding. So for your story, right? That Mom was grieving, you know, and not able to care. For, I mean, this sounds silly to think of a six and nine month old bill. You can't, right? So in your world, mom wasn't there and it was logged and registered. So for me, same thing. My sister, who is also chronically ill, has a pretty serious surgery. I, I think I was on her around three. Mm-hmm. And my family, my mom, my dad, obviously, where we, she was in the hospital for weeks at a time, right? I don't remember, but I can imagine, you know, like I probably too wasn't fully nurtured and cared for in that time. And again, my childhood mind probably made some sense of it. It's because I'm not good enough. I'm not enough enough for them to want to. So as we age, we come, we become more able to see the bigger picture Mm -hmm. and to understand other factors that have been, that were influencing our parents, including what was happening in that given moment. Yeah. as well as their past too right. and their conditioning and what they learned. Right. So this is how things transmit intergenerationally. Yeah. However, as an adult, right. When we can come to that awareness, this isn't to say not, not to allow what is very rightfully for many of us, anger and hurt when we, when we do become radically honest, right. You might be upset. You might feel negatively about parents and caregivers. It's not for me to, I'm not saying don't acknowledge that. Absolutely. And then on the other side of that, for many of us, if we can expand and see and understand, you know, maybe all of those other factors that were influencing our parents' choice in that moment, now maybe we can extend that compassion. Doesn't mean, again, again, if we have abusive relationships with caretakers, I'm not saying we have to have a relationship with these people. We can do all of this from afar, right? But that component of it can be very healing. Yeah. where I can see my parent as human and I can now, I don't have to own that brokenness anymore because it right. was not about me then and it's not about me now and right. I can understand a bit more. Yeah, you know, I had an opportunity. Um, I needed to validate this information and so of course, you know, I found a time to kind of gently bring the subject up with my mother whom historically is a very defensive, reactive individual. So, you know, asking this kind of question which could be, potentially a threat against her character was very scary, but I knew that I had to do it. Mm -hmm. And so as I started basically kind of, you know, reliving the story I just told you to her, I, I saw this sense of like, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but this, this thing overcame her. It was almost like this freedom that this horrible secret that she had been carrying as a burden and all of this guilt and pain and suffering that she had done around not being able to nurture me at nine months old because of her own personal grief, like dissipated. Mm -hmm. It was like this, not only was it a healing moment for me, but it was also 
a healing moment for her to, to forgive and let go and like take a breath and, oh, we can mm-hmm. finally be honest and free here, you know, and yes. that's a very pivotal moment in our relationship and with my ability to um, communicate my truths and not be in fear of that judgment or the criticism or whatever might come from it. Um, I just needed to express what I had identified and then either she validated it or not. Um, it didn't really matter to me, but what actually transpired was way more beautiful and yes. greater than I ever imagined would have. So. Yeah, that's really, I'm really happy you're able to gain that healing and yeah. you said something important in there. Because those of us who won't get that validation, who won't get our caregiver relaxing into the truth or acknowledging, acknowledging it even, I know I don't necessarily get that, mm-hmm. you know, what is important, because I talk a lot about realities and having them invalidated in the past, what is most important is our validation, mm-hmm. is leaving the conversation where maybe painfully you do have that caregiver who doesn't relax and remit and say, you're right, who says right. you're staunchly wrong, maybe even becomes angry. What's most important is leaving that secure in that that was the reality for you and finding your way to heal even without, even an absence of that other person validating. And a lot of us struggle with that because we come from a history of needing those things, those people, those confirmations externally again, right outside of ourselves to validate our reality. So again, it's developing that internal reservoir that we're talking about where I can validate myself. I don't need you to fully agree with me in this. That's what it was for me. And we can still move forward Yeah. or not, right? And that's where we have choice. Absolutely. And this in itself is like a whole topic and show that we could do about in terms of just like gaslighting and denying someone's perception of what they are experiencing. And I see this happening so much in the medical system with individuals going to the doctor and saying, I'm having these chronic headaches, my stomach's constantly aching. And they're like, there's nothing wrong with you. You're totally fine. You know, and making that all in your head. I think even people, sometimes people hear. Mm -hmm. And so my heart really goes out to all of the individuals who are truly physically suffering and not getting the answers and the support that they need in order to be able to reverse what is happening and be able to overcome and heal through it in a holistic way. It doesn't always require medication. Sometimes medication is very much needed, um, but it doesn't mean that it's always going to be a permanent you know, solution. Mm-hmm. Um, when we start enacting new behaviors and practices and changing lifestyle, um, circumstances more often than less I see that you know medication becomes not necessary for a lot of circumstances I had one girl who was on 27 medications when her and I met she had seven diagnoses uh, along with severe anxiety and depression and she was 25 years old at the time mm-hmm. and so she had literally identified herself with all of these diagnoses with all of this drama associated around the illness and once we were able to get her to release the attachment of the diagnosis that's when everything completely changed for her and she two years later is thriving and doing amazing and I'm so proud of her and she's only on one prescriptive medication for that's incredible yeah I have chills yeah And, and you know and the reality is this can be our reality anyone can have the same kind of outcome if they choose to think differently about the approach that they need to take. And um, so, you know, for me, with what you do, that's exactly the, the whole point is that the approach is very different than the recommendations that we're seeing amongst most professionals in, um, in psychology. And, and so I just really commend the work that you're doing. And I know that, you know, it was probably initially hard to step outside of that box and say, Nope, I'm speak, I'm stepping into my truth. This is what people need and being able to offer that to them and then have the kind of support that you have through the community. That's just such a beautiful validation for how badly this um, is needed. Yeah. Well, thank you. And, and, and I don't say this lightly. I, truly thank every member of the community, everyone who identifies as a self-healer or ever has once in their life and maybe come back at a later time and humans like you. I mean, this is why now we're banded together. We have 
love or hate it, the gift of technology, though it's here, right? right. This is one of the beautiful ways that we can shift the collective and can create, you know, these opportunities and the awarenesses and, and the support that is necessary. So I, yes, I show up every day and I pop a little meme up and I write a little caption in there though. It's not just me. It is truly a creation. When I got the book um, that I'm almost, that I'm in the middle of writing, when I, when I received the book contract, I really truly believe it's, it's because of the community. Like we did this, we, this is our book. This is our roadmap of healing. Now I hope there are many more and seeing and meeting practitioners like yourself. I know there yeah. will be many more. So I, my sincerest, you know, gratitude, I, I couldn't have done this without each and every person who resonated and who had the courage to say as much. Yeah. I love it. I think it's so beautiful. And I think right now where we're at in this time that this work is the work that is going to be essential as we evolve as a society and through these we're in a major paradigm shift right now things are definitely shifting um things are going to have to change in many ways and either individuals are going to be stuck and they're not going to evolve or they're going to have to put the work in you know meet that resistance head on in order to come out on the other side and just truly thrive um, and be able to step into, you know, their gifts, their abilities, um, embrace their happiness and joy that they innately have within them. And most of us think that, you know, that's something that we have to go out and find and it's right here. Like it's literally right here. And when we can turn within and embrace that and know that we're never truly alone, we have everything we need. Um, and when we are very intentional about the, you know, the way that we choose to think throughout the day, it's a game changer, just an absolute yeah. game changer. I couldn't agree more when we return to wholeness that we always were. Yes. Right. We just forgot and we just lost sight and we've created perceptions and beliefs and environments that have not validated that. Wholeness. Right. So now we return home. And I truly thank you, Heather, for the work that you do in the world and helping yeah. raise the collective vibration in this way. And this is real. I'm, I'm ex as much as it, it's, it's difficult in many ways to observe these paradigm shifting and the, you know, the people being like kind of like stuck still and knowing there's better. It's, it's hard. We're human. Come right. on over here. Right. Right. We're at a really beautiful time as far yeah. as I see it. Too. Well, I'm I think really that inspired. we are at a place in our lifetime where programs are so deeply embedded that we are either going to have to make some hard decisions and say, you know what, I'm going to cut the cord of this programming because this clearly isn't serving me the way that I desire and start new. I'm just going to take the the chance and, and allow myself, you know, self the gift and opportunity of my, I have a daughter who's 19 and she's been living in the Midwest going to college and um, she's actually going to be moving out here mid August. And she keeps texting me. I'm just so worried. What if it doesn't, you know, what if this happens and what if this, and all I respond to her with is, but what if it does happen? Like, what if it does work? And then it's silence. I yeah. never, she's actually calling me right now. I never get a response back, right? Because she's like, fuck. Oh, the wait, crickets. I call that the crickets when you yeah. say something yeah. back. And I'm like, like, but what if it does work out? You know, what if it does? We just got to trust our intuition, listen to that, that guiding voice that we were all gifted with. Um, and I think that life-changing things can, can truly occur. So I am so appreciative of your time. And clearly I didn't get to ask all of the questions that um, I wanted to, but I do want to be respectful. And um, I know you are a busy woman with all kinds of stuff going on. I'm so excited about your book. When will that be? Um, what, what's happening with that? There is a, the publication date. I think that is standing strong. Even all things COVID is March, 2021. Excellent. So it's coming. I'm getting down to the nitty gritty edit phase and we will see that come to life this spring. I'm so excited. That's, a, that's very exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Very happy and proud for you and the entire community. So where can all of the listeners find you? How can they follow you, find you if this is their first introduction to you? 
Of course. So come over to my Instagram at the.holistic.psychologist. It is really a main hub, though I also have a Facebook page for all the Facebookers out there, uh, the Holistic Psychologist, and a YouTube, um, uh, the Holistic Psychologist as well. Videos released every Sunday. I shout out the Instagram because there's a link tree on there with links to that future self journal that I mentioned earlier, always keeping updated on the opening enrollment of the self healer circle, probably this coming fall. So the main hub is the Instagram, um, though there's all these different modalities. So thank you. Come over. I'm doing the work of healing. I'm putting out content. I'm actually in the process of updating that future self journal. So in the next couple months, when I launch the new website that we've been working on, there'll be a new, nice, shiny version of that journaling. So anyone who's not a journaler listening, like I wasn't, like you aren't, um, and wants to give a different type of journaling to really help us create change and go and check that out and get that freebie. And thank you, Heather, for your time and sharing your space and your community with me today. Oh, thank you. It's been such a pleasure, such, such a true pleasure. Thank you so much for spending this time with me on the Think Yourself Healthy podcast. I'm so grateful that you stopped by. If you could just take a minute to share this episode with someone you think who would love it, it would be amazing. Take a screenshot that you've listened to the episode and tag at Think Yourself Healthy and myself at Nutrition Vixen so that I can share it. Leave a review on iTunes to let us know how much you loved being here and what you want to hear next. Until next time, don't forget to think yourself healthy. Thanks again, guys. Bye.